Hi, this is Lisa, and you are listening to I Love That Movie. This podcast is for movie lovers. It's not an unbiased opinion. It's not a straightforward review. It's just a couple people talking about a movie that they love. The format is each week I have a guest, and that guest and I discuss a movie that they love, something they're obsessed with, something they connect with. We'll talk about the plot, the director, and the actors, but we'll also talk about the personal connection my guest has with that movie. So if that sounds like something you want to listen to, keep listening. Hi, this is Lisa, and I have a new guest with me here today. This is Sarah Ragsdale. Hello. (laughs) Hello, Sarah. I'm so glad that you're on the podcast, finally. And uh, (laughs) it's great. We've kind of been chatting back and forth, uh, trying to get you on here. And um, Mm -hmm. what movie are we discussing today? Today, I want to discuss one of my all-time favorites, Breakfast at Tiffany's. Awesome. Um, I think I think we kind of chatted about this a little bit, but this is the first time I've ever seen this movie. Okay. <laughs> so um, I was going to ask you real quick, uh, mm-hmm. when did you first see this movie? Like, what's your the first time you saw it? Um, it was, like I said, it was one of those, like, I had seen the images um, growing up, I'd heard of it, but I hadn't actually really watched it until I was a about a sophomore in high school mm-hmm. and um, it was one of those things like I didn't do a lot of extracurricular activities and so I just had a lot of downtime at home and we had cable and I was lucky enough to have Turner Classic Movies and mm. it was one of those things like it was coming on it was one of the essentials and um, I decided you know what? I'm gonna watch that and I just sat down and devoured the whole movie. Like it was amazing. Plus it, uh, of all of the essentials, you know, they've got the lovely moment with the, um, long gone Robert Osborne now, but he just always added little facts and everything's. And it just helped me like really enjoy the movie more. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. I, <laughs> like I said, I just now saw this, but man in high school and I mean, you were really into theater in high school, right? I only a little bit. Um, okay. I really didn't didn't get into it until my senior year. Oh, gotcha. Okay. Because of the um, when we uh, had the dual credit classes through Northlake University, and I had to have um, an arts extracurricular, so I was like, well, I'll take theater. <laughs> um, I guess we should talk a little bit about you too. Um, so, do you watch a lot of classic movies? You said, do you feel like these movies sort of influenced you in the direction that you've kind of gone in? Because currently, you're a voice actor, right? Yes, absolutely. I love, I've always loved older movies, um, older actors, and I tr- I've always tried to implement them in my current work as a voice actor, as a theater actor, as a film actor. And it's just, it's such a vast amount of like knowledge. Like not a lot of people will like, you know, study theater in college or anything like that, but you have this plethora of 
genius to study from in classic films. And it's one of my favorite resources to use. It's so awesome. It's been really cool watching sort of your career on Facebook. Yeah, it's it's pretty fun. Um, and it, it's one of those weird things like I, I was never super into anime. But I mean, I knew you were several other people we went to school with were and my brothers both were and actually my brother's the one who got me into Funimation. Oh, really? That's mm-hmm. awesome. Well, he 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 just told me that they were auditioning, and so I auditioned. <laughs> That's awesome. You have like a great voice for that, by the way. I, I I've been really told to that. It. Yeah. <laughs> and it well, well, a lot of the stuff I do is mostly because um, you know, most animes are set typically in a high school setting, mm-hmm. and so it's it's literally just me living out all the different like possible versions of me in high school I could have been. <laughs> Yeah, and you have a very youthful voice too. I've I've been told that, especially when I for a while I did a uh, phone support, um, and uh, a lot of people would not believe that uh, I was qualified to do that. <laughs> <laughs> see what else should we discuss? I guess I guess I should run over the synopsis real quick before we mm-hmm. start getting into like some of the more in depth questions. The synopsis for Breakfast at Tiffany's. Uh, This is based on Truman Capote's novel. This is a story of a young woman in New York City who meets a young man when he moves into her apartment building. He is with an older woman who is very wealthy, but he wants to be a writer. She's working as an expensive escort and searching for a rich older man to marry, and then things get complicated from there. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Um, You know, I was actually kind of surprised when I watched this, I guess. It, it's like all I had to go off of was the, um, I guess, the references in, in pop culture about this mm-hmm. movie and sort of the cover. And I was actually kind of surprised when I watched it, the, the tone of the movie. It's pretty dark. It's pretty oh, heart-wrenching. The, the tone of the movie is very dark, heart-wrenching. And the book, uh, the Truman Capote novel, which actually is a, a compile of three different short stories, um, it's a house of flowers, a diamond guitar and a Christmas memory. Um, I myself have not actually read it, but just knowing Capote and his style and his, you know, how he was brought up, like all just dark seedy undertones gotcha. and the, the, the story itself is actually darker than the movie. Oh, Wow. Mm-hmm. That's pretty interesting. I had a couple quick facts here, too. Yeah. I saw that, um, let's see, that at the time of this movie, you know, Audrey Hepburn, she was the highest paid film actress. This movie actually mm-hmm. put her over that mark, which I thought was pretty interesting. Oh, yeah. that. I, there's also a funny thing to go along with that. I think, I can't remember the exact number, but Truman Capote, when he sold the rights to the novel... Um, he got a, a good sum for it, but it was George Axelrod who actually wrote the screenplay. Oh, okay. Uh, and he um, actually got paid more for writing the screenplay than Capote got for the rights to the novel, and he was Whoa. pretty mad about that. Yeah, I could understand that. <laughs> <laughs> I also re- uh, read that Harry Mancini, or Henry, I'm sorry. I read that mm-hmm. Henry Mancini wrote Moon River specifically for Audrey Hepburn. Yeah, um, there's been, I think, over 500 different versions recorded of that song. Yeah. And 
Henry Mancini himself has said that none of them compare to her version that she performs in the movie. Yeah, it's really striking. I mean, again, it's my first time seeing it. So it's actually my first time seeing her performance of it. But it's mm-hmm. really beautiful. It's a great moment in that film, for sure. It's And that's one of those, you know, iconic moments of the whole movie. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> that's, I don't know if you can hear it, but that's one of my dogs. She has a, a cone of shame on right now. Oh, so cone of shame. <laughs> she's scratching at it. Okay, I think she's done. <laughs> um, I also uh, read that Capote wanted Marilyn Monroe to be Holly Golightly, which I thought was interesting. Yes. Yeah, because the it's not hinted at completely in the movie. They they allude to the fact that she is an escort, but yeah. in the book, she is essentially a call girl. Yeah, yeah. Like very blatant and they he so he wanted the idea that he had of holly was this amped up sexed up bombshell yeah which marilyn monroe is yeah exactly and she they actually offered her the part but at the time her acting coach um who she had a very intense dark relationship with overall who was very controlling um told her she didn't think she should take the part Mm. because she didn't want her to be seen as that anymore they were trying to move her into more serious roles and so they they turned it down um but it's it's also funny in that same aspect when they finally settled on casting audrey hepburn the studio was like well we can't have her seen as a call girl so they kind of whitewashed it a little in the sense like oh no she's just you know she just gets 50 dollars for the powder room it's no big deal (laughs) Yeah, I was like, (laughs) I noticed that too. And I mean, also, you know, I had read the character supposed to be like 19, but actually, Mm -hmm, you know, um, Audrey Hepburn is about 31 in the movie. Yeah. So, so yeah, it's like a pretty different version than what they had in mind in the book. The, yeah, the book is very different. Like in, in the book, the, um, the Patricia Neal character is not even in there. That was just added for the movie. Um, and there, to go on a different route, there are some, her and um, Paul actually aren't a couple in the book at all. Oh, gotcha. Because Paul's loosely based off of Truman Capote himself, who was a gay man. Yeah, you know, I was having a conversation with somebody about this. I almost feel like if he had been gay, I mean, I know they, that would be really controversial in the 60s. But, like, if they had made mm-hmm. this movie now and he was gay, it almost would have made that character more endearing, at least to me, because then mm-hmm. his motive is less romantic and more just, like, true friendship. I think that's really touching that, like, Capote kind of wrote himself into that book in that way mm-hmm. and that it's not romantic, okay. yeah. Well, um, I from one of the things that I was reading about it um, – George Papard, who played Paul Varjak, he um, was apparently very difficult on set. Mm. And one of the things that Patricia Neal said that she had a problem working with him, um, Patricia Neal, she played um, 2E, as they referred to her. Uh, (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) uh, One of the problems she said was because, you know, she's, you know, keeping him like she pays for his way his clothes his apartment everything and so that character is such a strong powerful female character Mm -hmm. and apparently george papard 
didn't like that. Like it was written that way in the screenplay. Oh, wow. And he, he himself as an actor wasn't comfortable seeing as a weak character. So he kind of in some of their scenes together, apparently he reworked it to his own liking. (laughs) Oh, gotcha. I did think that that role she had was like, kind of progressive for the time you know it's mm-hmm. sort of hinting at I guess how things are now where the balance of power you know kind of swings both ways a little bit more evenly and so mm-hmm. the scenario that's happening to Audrey Hepburn you know historically would only be to women but nowadays I mean it, it can be both ways so oh yeah you know their connection there you think would make him more sympathetic and understanding that's really interesting that the actor himself didn't see that aspect to it Mm -hmm. but yeah oh I was gonna say too like let's talk a little bit about uh, Blake Edwards the director yeah um very famous for the Pink Panther films I saw that I got really excited when I saw that in the list I was like (laughs) I love those movies (laughs) they're so good yeah uh one of his others, also one of my favorites, uh, Victor Victoria. Oh, okay. I haven't seen that one. Was that before or after this movie? This was That was after. That okay. was probably in the mid-70s. That's the one with uh, his – it starred his wife, Julie Andrews. Oh, yeah. Um, I read that too, yeah. And she uh, played the woman who was playing a man impersonating a woman. <laughs> <laughs> That's cool. I need to check that one out. That that one's a fun one. It's got um, Julie Andrews, obviously. Leslie Ann Warren plays a great side character in that one. That's awesome. I think, like I said, the only other movies on the list that I really were that familiar with were the Pink Panther movies that I kind of grew up on those. So, really mm-hmm. like <laughs> but yeah, I really thought he did such a good job with this movie. Um, like it just really stands out, I guess, for the '60s, you know. Absolutely, and he, he himself was such a, he had such a unique view on directing and comedy, especially because, like you said, the movie overall has a darker tone. It has some comedic moments that Blake Edwards actually like put in. They oh, weren't okay. in the script. So the the whole um, the big party scene at Holly's apartment. The, like, mm-hmm. one long crazy take of just everybody going crazy, getting drunk, going wild. That wasn't in the script, but he was like, I'm, I've got to have a party in this in this movie. <laughs> yeah, I think that was a good idea. It kind of, you know, gives you, like, a little bit of relief sort of in the center mm-hmm. of the movie. Oh, that's really interesting. Oh. I didn't I didn't read that. That's that's really cool. Yeah, he um, literally, like, it's a group of, like, actual actors, and I can't, I think some other socialites at the time made a cameo scene in it, and uh, he literally just got him in a group on the soundstage and was, brought him actual champagne and was like, okay, everybody, we're going to have a party, and he wanted everyone to come up with different bits, um, so, like, a lot of the things that you see, like, the little comedic bits in that movie were kind of, some were choreographed and some were, like, on the cuff, like ideas and they reworked them to make everything fit in, which I thought was really, really cool and really interesting. Yeah, that is really cool. Um, did you have any more facts about Blake Edwards specifically? Uh, funny, funny Blake Edwards thing. I didn't realize this until I, I looked it up. Um, he (laughs) was roommates with Mickey Rooney. 
Oh, I, I, I think I read about them eating lunch together or something, but I didn't yeah. realize they were roommates. That's really funny. Yeah, well, I mean, obviously, like, when they first started out, but, um, yeah, that's why, like, they were such good friends and roommates, and um, he, that's kind of how Mickey Rooney ended up in the film. Gotcha, yeah, because he kind of, <laughs> he, he does feel, like, not central to the story, but he's, like, throughout it. <laughs> you see yeah, him pretty often. I, I, I think the Mr. Yunoshi character is in the book, oh, but okay. I'm not sure how much of him is in the book. Yeah, he's probably a smaller. Mm-hmm. If it, it seemed like he sort of added him to kind of break up the the tone a little bit. Mm-hmm. Probably the only part of the movie that doesn't age as well. <laughs> no, yeah. it doesn't. Um, <laughs> and it's it, it, if you go back and look at interviews, Blake Edwards himself is known for saying um, he wishes he could go back and recast it and put an actual um, Japanese person in that role. Yeah. I, I think things mm-hmm. just changed so dramatically from then to now mm-hmm. in terms of, you know, how we would view that. So it's understandable. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah. Uh, do you want to talk about Audrey Hepburn next? We can uh, oh. kind of tying into Audrey and Blake. Oh, okay. Um, it's kind of funny, another little fact, because um, he was married to Julie Andrews, and there mm-hmm. was a, a slight controversy between Julie Andrews and Audrey Hepburn. Oh. Not really, like, with them, actually, but, like, in the Hollywood circle, because um, Audrey Hepburn, obviously, was in uh, My Fair Lady. hmm And um, the role on Broadway for that part was originated by Julie Andrews. And wow. everyone assumed that when they were going to make the movie, they were going to give the role to Julie Andrews. And when that didn't happen, everybody was like, well, it's Audrey's fault. Yeah, <laughs> It became like this, this weird contention thing. I don't think the two of them ever actually had ill words to say about one another. But <laughs> That's pretty funny. I wonder what really happened. Like, I wonder, you know, why didn't he go with Julie Andrews? Or maybe she just didn't want to do it. Maybe she felt like she'd already done it. I think she wanted to do it, but it was one of those things. I think they needed a name for the movie. And this was still before anyone who really knew who Julie Andrews was. This was well before Mary Poppins and Sound of Music even. I think it was probably the same year she did Sound of Music, though. Wow. That's really really interesting. That's really cool. Mm -hmm. I did not know that. Well, <laughs> the notes I had about Audrey Hepburn, uh, you know, obviously she's very famous for this movie, for My Fair mm-hmm. Lady, and Roman Holiday that she actually won an Oscar for. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I, you know, she's very a very accomplished actress. I also read that she spoke several languages. I didn't oh, know yeah, that. Oh, yeah, she, I think it was five languages. She actually was born in Belgium, and that's... I think that's one of those, my geography is not great, but that's one of those that borders several countries. So, mm-hmm. yeah, she, that's true. So, it was, a, I think she spoke French, German, obviously English, and two other ones. I can't, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I had uh, Dutch, Spanish, French, mm. and Italian. Oh, okay. Yeah, I thought that was pretty interesting and in that she was also offered the role of um, Anne Frank from the Diary of Anne Frank. But she mm-hmm. actually turned it down because she grew up, you know, in the Netherlands 
and she said she witnessed Nazi soldiers publicly executing people in the streets, and so she couldn't bear to do the to do the movie because it would bring up those memories. She uh, she did grow up during that time and saw a lot of horrible things, um, and actually that they equate her slender frame to the famine during World War Two, like they're like. Nazi soldiers obviously rationed everything, and people living in those smaller towns um, didn't have a lot. I, I read one thing that during that time she admitted to trying to make food out of grass, make bread out of grass, and she oh. ate tulip bulbs at one point. Oh, wow. Mm-hmm. Man, I feel like I'm learning a lot from researching this movie. I I guess, you know, somehow, I mean, I know she's an incredibly you know, established and famous actress. But mm-hmm. um, since it's, I guess, an older film, I, I just didn't grow up with it. I hadn't mm-hmm. read a lot about her. So all this stuff is, like, really interesting. It's kind of funny. It's, it's sort of like I forgot that since she's in this movie in the 60s that she would have been so young, you know, that she would have been around in the 40s. And so oh, yeah. she would have that, that big connection. Mm-hmm. But, um Yeah. So did you have any um, any other little tidbits or facts about her on your end? She actually is one of only 12, I think the list is at 12 now, probably getting close to 13 with Lin-Manuel Miranda, um, 12 people who have ever got the EGOT. So that's an Emmy, or yeah, an Emmy, a Grammy, an Oscar, and a Tony. Wow, that's really incredible. And she also, she was a well-known humanitarian and um, just, she loved children. She loved animals. Um, In her older age, um, actually when she retired from acting and slightly before that, she was an ambassador for UNICEF. Oh, wow. Really cool. Mm -hmm. She would, she would travel, do humanitarian missions. And I believe the paychecks she got from the last two films she did she donated those to unicef oh wow Mm -hmm. that's awesome that's it's one of the things that i love about her because a lot of people you know they'll have you know college girls will have a poster of her on her wall but they won't really know anything about her Mm -hmm. and it's it's one of those things like to me she is a role model overall because she just she did so much with her celebrity. Yeah. Especially like during that time, not a lot of people did that. Yeah. Like now it's kind of more almost expected, but Mm -hmm. back then, you know, they, they're, she was kind of paving the way. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. That is cool. I, you know, I really didn't know that about her. I didn't know that she was such a role model. And to me, Mm -hmm. she kind of was a girl on the poster because I was just so far removed from it. Well, yeah, that's one of the, that's one of the reasons. Like, not just this movie, but like her whole work of movies are just some of my favorites. There's just something about her overall, like that that light inside. Mm-hmm. Like, it just it comes out on screen, and it's just mesmerizing to watch. I think. Yeah, I th- I definitely want to check out more of her movies now. I also, ha- I mean, actually, I haven't seen My Fair Lady or Roman Holiday either. <laughs> Roman Holiday is really good. My Fair Lady, I I do love that movie. Um, it's a, it's a, she's a she was a little upset about that movie because she actually wanted to sing, and so she thought she was going to actually get to sing it, but they dub her vocals in the movie. 
Oh. Mm -hmm. Not cool. <laughs> it was one of those, I mean, she, I mean, she, she has a lovely singing voice, but she was no Julie Andrews. <laughs> true, true. <laughs> Very, nobody but, else um, is Julie Andrews. <laughs> this, this is accurate. One of my other favorites of hers, it's actually also um, screenplay by George Axelrod as well, was a movie called Paris When It Sizzles. Mm-hmm. And it's a really fun, quirky thing. It's actually, um, I don't know if you saw the movie, um, oh, I can't remember what it was called. No, there was, but it's, the, the plot of it is essentially um, a writer who's trying to come up with a storyline, and he brings in the secretary to come and dictate his, his stories for him, and it goes into these weird dream sequences, and it's just really fun and interesting, and it's just... It's her and, um, oh, what is the other actor? It's going to bother me. I usually, I wrote down notes, but I didn't write down notes on names because so I'm one of those people every time, like, I want to talk about it, I'll immediately forget the name. <laughs> oh, yeah. I'm the same way. That's why, yeah, I have some <laughs> notes, too. I'm like, uh. <laughs> or sometimes I can't read my own handwriting, so. Oh, yeah. That makes the notes not very helpful. <laughs> <laughs> But you'll think of it. If you think of it, just chime back in with it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, do you want to? Oh, go ahead. Oh, I was going to say, Paris When It Sizzles is a fun one if you want to get into some of her works. And Roman Holiday is actually the one she won her Oscar for. So that's that one's really lovely. Okay. Uh, let's talk a little bit about the lead actor in this movie. <laughs> I might say his name wrong. It's uh, <laughs> George Pippard. Is that right? That's right, yeah. Okay, good, okay. Um, he's most notable from this movie and The A-Team, which I did not Yes. <laughs> he was Hannibal, the guy with the cigar. <laughs> <laughs> I had read that he was, like, relieved when that show was over because he said it was just, like, so crazy and such a phenomenon. He was kind of ready for it to be done. <laughs> I, I can believe that. And um, I, I, I bet he also thought, because he was probably – the name at the time when the, the show came out that he was going to be the main star. And he probably didn't like getting upstage by Mr. T. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's hard. It's hard to uh, compete with Mr. T. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> um, he was also in how the West was one, mm -hmm. uh, which I haven't seen either. But um, I, one interesting thing, I just feel like I have to mention this. I, I got curious about everyone's age in this movie you know, mm -hmm. so I was looking at like when they were born and, uh, you know, I feel like in the movie he's playing sort of like he's older than her, right? Like that he's more mature and um, that she's like young and I don't know, mm -hmm. I, that's the vibe I got. But he he was actually one year younger than her, he just looks yeah. older. And then Patricia Neal was around their age as well, like maybe three years younger, but she's playing like dramatically older. Just interesting. And pa Patricia Neal always kind of did. If you go back and look through like the movie roles that she's played, it's, it's always a more mature grounded character. Mm, she just um, gave that vibe. Yeah. Like um, one of the things I read about her, um, they offered her the role of Mrs. Robinson in the graduate um, but oh. she didn't feel like she was up for that part. And she, I mean, that wasn't too far. Like that was, I think the graduate was 60, 
63 or 64. Yeah, so that was I think so. two years after Breakfast at Tiffany's. So. Yeah, I love that movie. The Graduate's so good. Mm-hmm. I love that one, too. But, yeah, um, I don't have much about about uh, George Papard or Patricia Neal, but if you have any other facts about them, I'm going to rely on your expertise. Um, <laughs> uh, I know George Papard, he was a student of the Actors Studio. He specifically studied under Lee Strasberg, which is really impressive. Mm-hmm. And um, Patricia Neal actually studied with the Actors Studio as well. And so um, one of the... One of the interviews I saw with her, she was actually really excited to get to work with him on this movie because, you know, they're them both being students of the studio, getting to be in a big film together. And then, like, she, I, I guess, I don't know if disappointed is the right word, but she, you know, with the tension that they had on set. Yeah. Um, she's She was quoted as saying that she felt he had been spoiled somehow. And, um she didn't expect that from another actor's studio person. Yeah. It really kind of sounds like it from what you had said earlier, like for him Mm -hmm. to not see the depth of that character. Like I really liked that moment in the movie where he's, you know, sort of berating Audrey's character about what she's doing. He like, he can kind of tell that she's an escort essentially. And then later Mm -hmm. she finds out he's a kept man and that's kind of a blowback his way. Like, I mean, that's obviously in that movie and part of it. So for him to sort of elevate himself above that and feel like it's Mm -hmm. beneath him is, you know, I can imagine that being pretty disappointing because the movie does have a lot of strong female characters. They're, you know, the stars of the movie Mm -hmm. more so than him. And I guess maybe he just didn't like that. Yeah. And I think one of the things I saw was just they thought he was it wasn't what he thought a leading man should be like, which is why I think he decided to, I guess, make himself seem more important, if that makes sense. Yeah, because he's supposed to just be like a struggling, I mean, he's he's like her, where she has a dream yeah. where she's going to move on from all this, and so does he, and it's not very realistic. But it yeah. does seem like in the movie, he firmly believes, you know, he's going to get get out from under all that. And I guess he does mm-hmm. a little bit better than she does, but there there would be a different way to play that role where I guess, you know, he's acknowledging his position a little bit more. Mm-hmm. Like there's a reason you had the luxury to take your time to write, to write your book because you were a kept man. Yeah, exactly. So it's, it's, it's kind of a, I guess it's, he does his own version of mansplaining at that time. Just <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> that is accurate. Well, um, <laughs> do you want to kind of dive into a little bit about the plot next? And you don't have to like walk through the entire plot or anything unless you want to. But um, maybe describing some of your favorite scenes. Oh, um, well, one of my favorites, we already mentioned the... Um, the entire party scene. I have to agree with you. Yeah. I like that scene a lot. That was mm -hmm. probably one of my favorites. Yeah. There's just so many like little things to look at, look at like you can watch it 30 different times and see something new in each scene. I think I can't even tell you how many times I've watched the movie. And I think I watched it again about two years ago and was the first time I noticed whenever Paul's crawling on the floor and he's trying to get to the phone, he, 
looks at the watch on the girl's ankle. I noticed because- that. <laughs> I, I like that. I was like, nice touch. <laughs> Um, yeah, that, that whole scene, there's just so much to look at. And it's fun, like, going through and just watching the cat in that scene. That poor cat. (laughs) (laughs) That cat has it rough. He does. That poor no-name slob. (laughs) (laughs) But that, that one's one of my favorites. And he, that cat does steal the scenes that he's in, which are pretty great. Um. I don't know how they got that cat to do so many different things. Well, I, I think it was nine different cats ah. total that played the cat. Um, but because, you know, um, with a lot of those Hollywood animals, like they all know at least like one trick. So they have to have <laughs> multiple lookalikes who can do something to get them to do one whole movie. That's too funny. Nine cats <laughs> and nine lives, I guess. So. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, that's awesome. I, I do that scene. I think when I think of this movie now, you know, I think before mm-hmm. when I before seeing the movie, I would think of just the classic picture, that poster you were talking about earlier that girls had in their mm-hmm. room. But now when I think of the movie, I feel like I do think of of that party scene first. I think it yeah, that out. that party scene, I think brings a lot of the heart into the movie, the, the lightheartedness, mm-hmm. um, the whimsy of New York in the sixties and just, you know, the crazy madcap kind of socialite life that they're all so lucky to be in. Mm-hmm. Very true. Mm-hmm. Well, what are some of your other favorite scenes? I mean, I do love the window opening scene. Um, it's just such a beautiful shot too. Like the way that mm-hmm. it's lined up and I mean, the costumes, the jewelry, I mean, the iconic Tiffany's window. Yeah. Um, and there's, there's just something fabulous overall about, you know, Audrey Hepburn looking as gorgeous as she possibly can and just scarfing down pastry. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that she apparently it, didn't like in real life. I saw. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> which I'm like, was, you're crazy. Pastries are amazing. I, they're amazing, and <laughs> I would, I would. You don't have to pay me to do that scene. You could pay me in those pastries to recreate that scene, and I would do it. Seriously. Um, <laughs> but I think I. What I love about that moment, though, like I mean, she's such a paradox, being like this woman on a pedestal and at the same time being just so grounded and real mm-hmm. that, that I think kind of explains a lot of the movie in a weird way. No, I totally agree. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I, I think uh, she pulled off that sort of, she kind of lets the real Lulu may slip, you know, mm-hmm. throughout the movie because it's, it's kind of her I guess, I don't know how to say it, her fanciness is sort of a a costume, you know, it's sort of an act. And Mm -hmm. whenever the real her slips out, ironically, I feel like that's when she's more impressive, but she doesn't know that. What's what I, what's, um, I can't, the, the producer character in the, the film, um, who's the one who kind of made her, she is, he has this great line about her where he's like, she's one of those fakes, you know, but she's a real fake. <laughs> yeah, I love that line. I love that. Mm-hmm. That was a good part of that movie. 
<laughs> I also yeah. really liked the uh, the scene with the song, the Moon River song. Oh yeah, that everything about it. Hmm. Um. It's just one of those beautiful moments in film history. Um. And I think it it's one of the first times I think. Paul especially sees that Lula May mm-hmm. yep. as a as compared to the Holly. And it's, it's just, it's one of those, like I could just watch it over and over again. Like I don't even have to watch the whole movie. I could just watch that scene. <laughs> yeah. I, it, I almost felt like watching it, that scene that there's a whole nother movie about Lulu May almost, you know, like mm-hmm. there's a whole nother story to tell that we don't get to see. And I think, the fact that we don't get to see it is kind of what makes it, I guess, more, more special, more mysterious um, mm-hmm. and, and tragic because in that moment you see the real her and it's, you know, tragic and beautiful, but um, you don't get to see it again that much, you know, throughout the story. No, you, you get small glimpses of it whenever um, Doc shows up mm-hmm. um, and it's, like, the story he tells, like, I don't think Doc is a bad guy. Like, clearly it was an older, it was a different time period, but, like, he's definitely you know, older than her. And he talks about that he married her, or, like, took her and her brother in when she was 14. Ugh. <laughs> I know, I cringe. Yeah. I went, yuck, like, when he said that. But, <clears throat> but yeah, it's the time. I mean, a, a long time ago, women didn't have a lot of options. And, I mean, one way to look at this movie is, I mean you know, she's a woman that doesn't have a lot of options throughout. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's not like the decisions that she makes or the position she's in are ideal. You know, I I would think nowadays she wouldn't be struggling as much with some of those things or situational, you know, uh, there's so many stories about women marrying really young out of a need, you know, Mm -hmm. it wasn't really a choice. And then she's stuck with that guy's kids. But yeah, I I agree. Like you feel sorry for Doc too, because at the same time now he's essentially stuck raising all those children by himself. Mm -hmm. I couldn't help but think about that. (laughs) I was like, that's sad. So it's like, it's sad for everybody, but um, even her life, her rich lifestyle, you know, as sort of, I mean, basically a call girl um, is also really tragic. She's sort of from one situation to another she's never she talks a lot about in the movie about like not wanting to be tied tied down and wanting to be mm-hmm. free but she never really gets to experience that freedom in the movie you know yeah i, th- I think she thought she was gonna get that um in brazil yeah. but she never gets to go i had a question about brazil too i mean i thought mm-hmm. that was like such a sharp left turn for her to suddenly want to marry that brazilian guy i mean was that also because she knew that heat was coming from her connection with the mob? And so her idea was like, well, I better go to Brazil now. Like I kind well, of, well, no, I, I think, um, the desperation of wanting to marry him comes from the fact that doc told her that he wasn't going to take care of Fred anymore. Oh, that's right. And then and Fred passes away before she makes a decision too. Right. Yes. Okay. Okay. Uh, well, it Fred passes away. Well, she starts dating him, pursuing the Brazilian guy because 
you know, she knows Doc's not going to take care of him. And in the midst of that is when Fred dies. And so I think it's a little bit of, you know, she needed to bag the rich guy to take care of her and her brother. But also her brother, for the most part, is the only thing keeping her in one place. Yeah, because there's this fantasy that, you know, she's going to get enough money and go get mm-hmm. him and they're going to live a happy life. And then I guess she's realizing that's not going to happen. Then mm-hmm. she kind of has to switch to a new plan. Yeah. So I think, and I think it's um, also like the going to Brazil and all that, like she's getting as far away from those, those dark thoughts of Fred dying as yeah. much as possible. Yeah. Really understandable. And like, I guess looking back on it, thinking about the movie, and I guess it's just how um, George Pappard was playing it. But it's weird. He's, he just he keeps asking her, like, why are you going? Why are you doing this? And I mean, it's like, mm-hmm. don't you know why? <laughs> I don't know. Come on, man. <laughs> Pay attention. Yeah. <laughs> but, the little that you know, we know about her, I'm sure, is the same amount that he's gathered from her because she is such a mysterious kind of person. Um like she tells him, like, I don't like snoops. Um, like, just from what she's let known of herself and her past, I would think Paul would get it. But yeah, he kind of doesn't play it that way. Or I guess maybe his only real thought is that she doesn't need to do all that because he's going to save her and he's going to make her life better. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Yeah. No, I I definitely think that that's. Paul's motivation through most of it. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it's just, it's kind of sad. Um, and I, 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 I kind of love the speech that he gives to her at the end about seeing herself as a free spirit. Yeah. Uh, but, and it, it's a great scene and it's, um, you know, he says, um, you know, um, you're, you're terrified somebody's going to stick you in a cage, but you're already in that cage and it doesn't matter where you go because when, wherever you run, you just end up running into yourself. Her reaction, I think is what made that scene for me. Like Mm -hmm. the look on her face, the emotion on her face, it's, it's very real and it kind mm-hmm. of, I mean, it, it sells that scene. Like, I think without that reaction, you don't get that, the impact of that scene. Absolutely. Like, you have to, like, you can see the the gears working, the thought process, the her finally figuring herself out. Because Holly is such, you know, a broken character. There's, you know, she's she's always been running from something, Um and essentially what I think she's been running from is Lula May. Right. And it, during that final moment, like it does, it's not until Paul like really puts it up to her face that she starts to figure out what she actually wants and what she wants to do. And it's, it's, it's such an amazing scene overall because like you said, it's it's mostly just facial reactions from her, which is so impressive. Yeah, because there's a lot of the story that we're sort of given tiny pieces of, but not the full picture. But you can kind mm-hmm. of imagine that she probably, I mean, if she had to marry at 14 
it sounds like maybe her parents passed away or something because he mentioned something about having to take care of her and her brother and Mm -hmm. then her brother having to go into the army because they don't have any money. And then, you know, and then she runs away here and now she's just going from guy to guy trying to figure out how she can get ahead and being so in love with this rich lifestyle that she can never truly afford. I mean, all Mm -hmm. of it is just so tragic and she kind of has to keep up that appearance the whole movie. And then he just kind of, puts a spotlight right on her and her reaction is just so like it's the climax in the movie, you know, that's the, one of the best parts. Mm-hmm. I also liked how I, and I didn't notice this watching it, but she has the same dress the whole movie. She's just putting on different accessories. I thought that was funny. I didn't even notice that. Oh yeah. Like the, I, it, there's the first scene, the, the longer black dress, that one is different. Oh, okay, okay. But the, all the other scenes, um, it's the same little Givenchy black cocktail dress. And <laughs> it's it's just so funny. Like you, And it's the same accessories throughout as well, which is really funny. Yeah, it's kind of like she had this one look down. You know, it's kind mm-hmm. of a, a window into the fact that she isn't really rich. She just has mm-hmm. this one outfit she has to dress up throughout the movie. It kind of reminds me of the that episode of The Simpsons where Marge gets a Chanel suit. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> I don't think I remember that episode, but I bet I would if I saw it. She she finds it at like a clearance rack and it's only like $50 or something marked down from 500. And so Marge gets into, you know, the the cocktail tea set of women and they're like, "Oh, that suit's so lovely." And then they realize like Marge, haven't you been wearing that same suit for a while? So she has to start altering it to look like a different suit. <laughs> okay, I do remember this yes. episode now. <laughs> <laughs> and plus, I think I feel Marge's pain. I feel like every once in a while, I'll spend a lot of money on one item of clothing and just wear it to death for that reason. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so I can relate. <laughs> but um, let's see. So we're kind of sort of towards the end of the movie already. How do you mm-hmm. how do you feel about the ending? Like, what do you think? Because they kind of, in a way, leave it open ended. Mm-hmm. What do you think uh, about that scene? And what do you think happens next? the The movie overall, I I like those movies that um, uh, aren't wrapped up in a bow. How most people describe them. There, there's not you know the happily ever after. Um, we get some resolve in. The sense that the the actually the only thing that gets wrapped up in a bow in that movie, and I love it, is that we do find cat. <laughs> I was so upset when she threw that cat out. <laughs> oh yeah, like it's 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 yes, it's great the the stuff with her and Paul, but that that whole scene, the end scene to me, is about her and cat. Mm-hmm. And this this may just me being a crazy cat lady myself, um, <laughs> <laughs> but you know she throughout the film talks about how her and the cat are the same. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she there's just, a big parallel she, there. Yeah, mm-hmm. and it's one of the like it's it's one of those things she she's rejecting herself again. She throws cat out. Oh, she's that's, running that's true. herself again, and. And it's the the love the the love story of her and Paul. I don't think is you know the 
the apex of the film. It's it's her finding Cat and finding herself. Right. The movie's really about her. Mm-hmm. Not so much uh, um, George's arc. He's sort of just there, I feel like, to represent the audience a mm-hmm. little bit, you know. Uh, it, but their their romance is not the important part of the film. I mean, you can kind of no. tell that from <laughs> even just how it happens that that's not like a part of the original story. They kind of just worked it in because they need it to be in there, I guess, to sell as mm-hmm. a Hollywood movie. But I, I think you're totally right. I think the the journey with her and the cat I find more interesting. I never thought about it that way about her finding herself. That's that's really that's really accurate. I think. <laughs> I was so happy when things... he came back. I was like, I told oh, Nick yeah. when she threw him out. I was like, I went, no, <laughs> I, I'm not. I'm not what? even a cat person. But what? No, that's not acceptable. <laughs> and then when he comes back, I went, oh, I w- I've been thinking about that cat. <laughs> I was like, I'm glad he's back. <laughs> You're like, yeah, yeah. Quit looking at him. Go find your cat, girl. Go. <laughs> yeah. Your cat's gonna stick this out. I don't know about oh. him. The cat is, though. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's um, one of the things I read. Um, Audrey Hepburn herself being, you know, such a lover of animals. Like, she herself said that was her least favorite scene to shoot in the whole film because she was mad that she threw the cat out. <laughs> yeah, she's like, why would this happen? <laughs> why would I do this to my cat? I would never do this. <laughs> no, it's such a good cat. He put up with so much. He really did. <laughs> Every time he clawed someone at the party, I was like, well, like, you know, <laughs> cats in a giant room full of people don't mix. Oh, yeah. Like, he probably gave plenty of warnings to those people. <laughs> yeah, I feel sorry anytime we have a bunch of people over. My dogs kind of lose their minds, but if they were cats, I'm sure they'd have a lot more to say about it. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so I, I, you know, I agree with you about the, the ending because I think watching the movie – Honestly, I was, like, a little worried that at the end he would, you know, quote-unquote save her. And I was mm-hmm. like, oh. Like, I was telling Nick, I was like, I can imagine being, like, a hopeless romantic guy watching this movie and being like, oh, I need to find my Holly Golightly. And I'm like, no. <laughs> it's not going to get better. She is not going to get better. The ending of that the, – the ending you don't see is – She's the same. Because <laughs> I, I oh, felt yeah. like even if you pulled her out of that situation, you know, he gets her away from her creepy husband, um, mm-hmm. who's debatably creepy or not, um, and, <laughs> and away from the Brazilian guy and away from the mob, and they're married. I have a feeling Holly Golightly is going to still be running away and, he, oh. you know, off with more antics because it's not those guys necessarily. It's Mm-mm. it's her, you know, that she hasn't worked on. So. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. It's, I mean, Paul, Paul likes to think that he's the one saving her, but she, he's just another one of her, I guess, rats. He's not a super rat, but he's, he's, he's there for that moment. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He's, he's not, He's not helping her as much as he thinks he is. Like he's he's yeah. mainly just just there, and he's got a lot to work on himself that he doesn't mm-hmm. see. Like I feel like if you remade this movie now, there would probably be more hints of that. But I mean, she's the mm-hmm. main character of the story, so they're obviously going to focus on her. But yeah, I agree. Like 
you know, he has that moment where he's like, I'm not one of the rats. But in the back of my mind, I was like, mm, you kind of are. <laughs> because yeah. you also project onto her what you wish she was, the way that the other men in the film do. So mm-hmm. no one's really truly seeing her for her. He, he gets really close, I think, with that speech. But just the mm-hmm. whole idea that he's going to be the one to fix her and save her is sort of, to me, just like another projection. And he literally says that like part of the reason why he wants to fix her or save her is because he can't fix himself. So mm-hmm. uh, it's kind of the same thing. Yeah. Yeah. And he, he also has that one... This is before the end, but when he can't find her and he finds her at the library, they have that weird moment um, where he basically tells her he thinks she belongs to him. I found that creepy. I was like, I guess that's okay in the 60s. But yeah, now it's like, uh, aren't you doing the same thing all the other guys do to her if you say that? (laughs) And I think it's one of those lines like, it does come off creepy. Don't get me wrong. But I think if, if George Papar didn't play Paul as such a, a hard leading man kind of guy, that's not the way they wanted to play him. It would have come off more endearing. Yeah, I could definitely see that. And mm-hmm. I, I mean, you know, our ideas about um, a relationship between um, partners is, mm-hmm. it, it's kind of evolved. So, I, I do think at that time that probably would be seen as more romantic. And, you know, he's, he's basically just trying to say uh, what you're afraid of is not what I'm trying to give you. I'm trying to just give you love and for us to be there for each other. But mm-hmm. you're seeing all of that as a negative when there's more than one scenario of people being together. It's almost like she can't even imagine being in a relationship with someone that it isn't like that, you know? Yeah. But yeah, he does play it kind of like aggressively. <laughs> mm-hmm. it's like he he kind of like grabs her and like you're like, "Whoa, okay." <laughs> like she's kind of saying <laughs> no, bro. <laughs> no means no, Paul. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but yeah. Well, um let's see. Were there any other scenes you wanted to talk about? Um one of my other favorite scenes um is it's the whole sequence of um, them doing things that neither of them have done before. Oh, I love that uh, part too. Yeah, that's good. But my, my favorite part is the actual five and dime scene where they're both trying to steal something. Yes. Yeah. I love how, uh, <laughs> what a natural she is. And like, I don't mm-hmm. know why, I guess maybe because I'm not, I, I don't think I've ever stolen something, but I found that part like very exciting. Like it made me really mm-hmm. nervous, even though I knew they weren't going to get caught. And I know it's just a movie. I was, I was like nervous that whole scene. <laughs> okay. And I think one of the things that helps is just the brilliant underscore and music that Henry Mancini does throughout it. Mm-hmm. It just like everything comes together in that scene, like to really amp up what it is that I think, Holly expects out of life. She wants excitement. She wants drama. She wants, you know, that, that fire. Yeah. And, and he plays his character. So, so straight and kind of boring, you know, it's like, Mm -hmm. he wants that too. He would love to not just be a kept writer. He would love for him to be a writer and for him to be, I guess like a little more in charge of his life and, that's like one small way he can do that is when he runs off with her and does these crazy things with her. Mm-hmm. 
Um, I do like the the scene where they're in Tiffany's and he's trying to buy her a present. Mm-hmm. Um, and just the actor that plays the clerk um, at Tiffany's is just so understanding and uh, yeah it's pretty perfect (laughs) oh yeah it's it's just so it's such a lovely little moment and she ends it with you know like didn't i tell you this place was wonderful (laughs) like yeah because i i thought i thought he was gonna be like mean to them you know and Mm -hmm. and i think that's what paul thinks and then he kind of is but it's like they're so professional they're so yeah, they're so professional and, and their brand <laughs> yeah. is so strong that mm-hmm. even in this situation, you know, they're extremely polite and helpful. And mm-hmm. I feel like what a good ad for Tiffany's. Like, <laughs> oh, absolutely. Like, I think, I don't know, I don't know how accurate this is, but I feel like I read at some point that Tiffany's wasn't doing financially as well as they had been. Um, until this movie kind of created that cult following again for them. Ah, I could see that. I mean, it's mm-hmm. a really popular film. And, I mean, you know, they, they talk about Tiffany's a lot and reference it. So, and that scene is, like I said, it's almost like a Tiffany's ad. <laughs> oh, yeah. Pretty, pretty much. And it was, I think, because Tiffany's is always closed on Sundays. And this, for the filming of that scene... That was the first time in, I think, like, 40 years, if not more, that they opened their doors on a Sunday. Yeah, so I that saw that. That's, that scene. <laughs> that's awesome. <laughs> yeah, that, that whole scene, like, it's just, it's so pompous, but it's so, like you said, professional. And it's just, it's, it, it has that whimsy that I want out of this movie. <laughs> I agree. I think just the um, the dialogue between her, Paul, and uh, the the clerk, the way they're all playing off each other in that scene is is really really good writing. Like it's just a mm-hmm. really good, really good dialogue. Absolutely. That that act that actor uh, John McGiver he um, he always plays that kind of you know character actor like that. He just always has that vocal tone of like, yes, um, okay. <laughs> I feel like I need to do a lot of research. You're bringing up all these actors that I don't know because I, I don't think, I mean, I guess I didn't grow up watching Turner Classic movies, so I, I'm, I really missed out. I think I used to have this attitude of like, oh, these older movies, they're, they're mm-hmm. old. And so like I, I didn't really watch any of these. And my parents didn't really watch them or expose them to me at least either. So this is one area of film that I think I'm, I'm pretty weak in. I need to, I need to bone up on those things. Yeah. It's just one of those things. Like, I don't know what drew me to it. Um, it definitely wasn't my mom. Cause my mom is kind of one of those people. Like if I mentioned any, like wanting to watch an older movie, she's like, why that movie's old. There's new movies. I'm like, but it's still a good movie. <laughs> <laughs> You're wise beyond your years. Mm-hmm. And I, I same problem. Like um, my one of my brothers, he would um, he refuses. I think still to this day to watch any movie in black and white. <laughs> I have to challenge <laughs> myself. I'll admit that. You know, yeah. no. I've I've been going back and trying to watch some older films. 
it, it helped when I was in college. I took a couple uh, film classes, and they mm-hmm. required you to watch uh, older movies, and so that kind of got me back into wanting to go back and, and see some of these older films. But there's just so much. I mean, there's just so many movies in general, but there's so much that I haven't seen. Oh, yeah. There's there's so much content out there, and there's always, you know, you know, so many different um, – there's Hollywood, there's, you know, Indian film. There's so many different venues that are always just pumping out new content that it's, it is it is overwhelming. But it's – the best way, I think, to approach is just um, figure out what you like, and then you'll kind of, like, find an actor that you like and just watch their movies. And then if you see someone else in that movie that you like, you know, watch some of theirs and just kind of go down those rabbit holes to kind of immerse yourself in. Sounds good to me. I'll probably <laughs> go to you for a list or something. <laughs> okay. I, I can help with that. <laughs> oh, good, good. Um, did you have any other scenes that you're wanting to discuss? Um, no, not really. Those, those main, like, um, those are the main scenes that I think really embody the movie so much to mm-hmm. me personally. Yeah, I agree. Those are the ones that stood out to me as well. Well, um, let's go on then to our last couple of questions here. Uh, I feel like you've talked about this a little bit already, but but what keeps you coming back to this movie? Why do you think you've seen it so many times? It's, uh, it's the overall feel that the movie gives. I mean, it's it creates this nostalgia for a time that I don't think necessarily really happened. Um, like the music and the clothing and just every little aspect of what makes this movie itself is just, it's, I don't know, there's, it's, it's hard to put into words exactly, but it, I just like the way it makes me feel. Yeah. Yeah. That's understandable. You, you connect it with, um, even if it's a fantasy, but an idea of the sixties, of a, mm-hmm. like a glamorous um, time that mm-hmm. is past now. It's like, it's sort of like happened and it's over. And I, I feel that way watching certain movies too. Um, yeah. I feel like I feel that way a lot when I watch movies about like the seventies or just some time period that I, I wish I could have been a part of. Mm-hmm. Even if that's not like a true representation of it, it makes me feel like nostalgic for it, even though I wasn't there, <laughs> if that makes mm-hmm. sense. Yes. One of the other things I just love, like, each time I watch the movie, I feel myself connecting with a different character. Ah. Do you feel like that's changed as you've gotten older? Absolutely. Um, I'm Like, the first time you watch it, I think, you know, you you obviously connect with, with Audrey. Um, especially if you're watching it when you're younger. That wild lifestyle, living it up, and I mean, even at one point, like I connected with Paul. Like you're, you're trying to get on a career path. You're trying to make things work for yourself. You're very serious. Um, at one point, I, I connected with Patricia Neal's character. Just you know, there's just so many different ways to look at it and viewpoints. Even, even Mister, you know, she like we've all had that one problem neighbor, and you're like, I, yeah. I feel you, man. I know where you're coming from. <laughs> that's true. I think that's the mark of a good movie too, the when it mm-hmm. when it grows with you. you mm-hmm. know, it, that kind of separates it from being a movie that maybe you liked when you were a child, but it doesn't really translate. You know, you go back and you're mm-hmm. like, oh maybe I had a rose colored glasses on when I saw that. But mm-hmm. now it's like 
if it grows with you, I think, uh, you know, that's a really, a really great experience you can have with a film. Mm-hmm. And, um, too. Oh, absolutely. Um, like for, in preparation for this, um, podcast, I, I rewatched it again. And, um, going back to the age that you talked about, uh, she was 31 when she filmed it. Um, I turned 31 in August. Oh. And so it like seeing that fact while watching it, um, just kind of made me relate to not necessarily Holly more, but as an actor to Audrey Hepburn more. Yeah. Yeah. I think, mm-hmm. I think it speaks a lot to her talent and her youthfulness and her energy mm-hmm. because I was surprised to read she was 31 because especially, you know, old Hollywood, it, it mm-hmm. seemed like all the actresses were like, it's like 18 to 25 and then you play the mom. I mean, literally the other oh, yeah. actress in the movie is playing dramatically older, but because of Audrey's look, but not just her look, like her energy also, I think is what mm-hmm. makes her appear so much younger and, and, and just how talented she is, I feel like that's probably why they would cast her in that role when they normally may not have. It's almost like they were bending the rules um, mm-hmm. of Hollywood to cast her in that. What, one other thing that like I think helped maintain her youthfulness throughout her career, it's, it's so funny if you go through and look at the leading men from all of her other movies, the age gap is <laughs> crazy. Like She was always cast opposite like a much older leading man. Yeah, yeah. And I think because of her, the kind of character she played too, you know, Mm -hmm. like in this movie, all the details of her like uh, smoking that cigarette and lighting things on fire and she's just kind of Mm -hmm. out of control. And so the the man or the male character sort of plays, you know, I don't want to say like a fatherly character but but definitely much more mature older in charge Mm -hmm. you know character so she kind of has to maintain that that energy of being the sort of out of control tie me down kind of character yeah she um like going like going through her body of work um i hate to use this term but i will use it uh she's probably like that first ideal of the manic pixie dream girl yeah, yeah. I was going to say that. I had the thought, too, watching this movie. Mm-hmm. I was like, and that's what I was saying earlier about, uh, you know, guys seeing this character and thinking, like, oh, she's so quirky and, like, I can fix mm-hmm. her and, you know, that makes her interesting. And and sort of the main character struggling with, like, okay, you've decided what I'm like, but I'm not, I'm not that person, you know. Mm-hmm. She kind of, uh, right. she kind of originated that. I think so. And I think... I think she brought like a class to that mm-hmm. that I don't think any like especially in this in this role many other actresses could have embodied. I think if if they had cast Marilyn it probably would have been the more manic rather than the pixie. <laughs> yeah, and and definitely not not like you said as classy the sexual factor would be amped up a lot more. Mm-hmm. And it, it would be less, I guess, innocent and more, yes. yeah, yeah, just all of that. Mm-hmm. I agree. The, I, I did see one person that they considered, a third person they considered for the part that I think probably would have handled it pretty well. I think it would have, it where Audrey Hepburn is more the Holly than the Lula May, 
this other actress would have been more the Lula Mae than the Holly um, mm-hmm. was Shirley MacLaine. Oh, I didn't read that. That's really mm-hmm. interesting. I think I th- that casting I probably w- wouldn't have hated, I would say. <laughs> yeah, like like you said, I think it would have been more, I guess, like you said, you, you would have seen Lulu May slipping through a lot more. Mm-hmm. And it would have almost maybe been played like everyone is sort of trying to pretend that it's not happening kind of thing. Like uh, yeah. playing along with her versus you know, uh, Audrey Hepburn is, is very convincing or at least more mm-hmm. convincing than Shirley MacLaine would have been. Yeah. <laughs> My dog is shaking. Um, but yeah, yeah, no, I agree with that. Huh. That's interesting. Uh, sometimes when, when you hear casting like that, it's like, I want to go to a parallel universe and watch that movie and just see oh, what it's absolutely. like. <laughs> <laughs> um, what, what would you say to someone that's never seen this movie before? Like, how would you pitch it? Um, I would pitch it, I would first start off because I'm sure they've heard about the controversy of the Mickey Rooney character. Mm-hmm. And I would tell them to try and look past that character. It's it's definitely one of the weaker parts of the film. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, you have to remember it was a different time period. Even comedy was different at that point. Like... And the, you have to look at it as, yes, the character is a caricature and a stereotype, but it's you have to try and look past that. Is I think the main thing I would try and emphasize for most people. I agree. And, you know, we do kind of forget, and it, it definitely doesn't excuse it, but at the same time, comedy does change and evolve pretty rapidly. Like, I even feel mm-hmm. like right now, things are changing a lot and I think it's for the better. You know, I, you know, Mm -hmm. I, I love the idea that nowadays they wouldn't do something like that. You know, I see Mm -hmm. what's wrong about it and I'm glad we're having that conversation, but I do agree with you. I don't think it should stop you from seeing this movie. Um, yeah. And I'm glad I saw this movie because I do feel like in a way, maybe like, uh, like other people that, um, have had this thoughts about some of these classics. It's almost like you're afraid to see them because they're so classic and, you know, people have such strong attachments and ideas about them. It's almost like, well, what Mm -hmm. if I see it? It's not what I expected. And what's funny is it wasn't what I expected, but a lot of what I didn't expect about it was what actually made it better. So Mm -hmm. I think, I think I was really surprised when I saw it by how I, modern and uh, somewhat controversial some of the subject matter was in the film. Oh, yeah. I think that there's sort of an idea that a lot of people have that older movies are all like, I don't know, singing in the rain. (laughs) And so they're just like, oh, they're all like that. But the 60s was a pretty exciting time in filmmaking. I mean, that's when we got, we mentioned earlier, The Graduate or Midnight Cowboy, (laughs) you know, these movies that explored these like, darker themes and there's sort of a window into the 60s like you said maybe not a realistic window but a window right. nonetheless <laughs> into the way that things were changing and evolving and I think this movie shows a slice of that and so I, I think that's one thing that I would say to someone that hasn't seen it you know is mm-hmm. that like you're it's it's going to be different than you expect it to be I think and then um, there's some themes and even just visuals, fashion, different things that's, that are explored in the movie that kind of give you 
a window into that time. Mm-hmm. I, I absolutely agree. And I think that's a, that's a great way to put it that you have to like all art is subjective. And I think a lot of newer audiences don't realize the difference between movies and film. Mm -hmm. And film is closer to art. Well, movies are, you know, like popcorn, big budget money makers and you have art is subjective and you have to give it a chance. If that makes sense. Yeah. And I think, you know, if you really love movies, I mean, it's something that I always try to challenge myself with because you know, I, I have my own hangups too. Like I don't watch a lot of like romantic comedies. Um, mm-hmm. I didn't grow up watching a lot of musicals. There, there's a lot of genres that, that I kind of didn't give a chance. I, I didn't watch horror movies till I was an adult. Um, mm-hmm. you know, except for a couple of, uh, exceptions, but if you really love all film, then you kind of have to give all film a chance. So if you're sort of avoiding some of these older classics, you know, I would say you need to see where everything came from. And they Mm -hmm. always say when you're trying to look for inspiration or, you know, ideas, go to the source material, you know, and I feel like this would definitely count as that. Um, I think there's an idea that like older film is going to be, like I said, cheesier or, you know, not as complicated. I mean, and it's, it, it, yeah, a lot of, like, a, I, I agree, a, a lot of people just assume they have these stigmas that it's it's going to be contrite or uh, boring even. Mm-hmm. But if it's, if it's a good story with good actors and good direction, it doesn't matter when it was made, it's still going to be a good movie. Yeah. Well, I think, um, I'm, I'm just really happy that you picked this one. I think... I think this is the the oldest movie that we've picked so far. Oh. You know, it's kind of funny. I, I say in some of the other episodes, people often ask about picking newer movies, but I don't think we've gone this far back yet. So, really? Yeah, yeah. Because, you know, we've picked a lot of, you know, when people pick their favorite movies, it's like Star Wars, Indiana Jones, you know. Yeah. And, and I agree. I love those movies. But I'm, oh, I'm excited, too. like, to talk about something like this that's like, I mean, this is like, you know, a real classic. This is, we're classy. We're classy up in here oh, today. We're classy. <laughs> oh, yeah. And I, I almost went with my other favorite movie that's even older. Oh, what's that? Gone with the Wind. Oh, we need to do a second episode then. <laughs> <laughs> you can be our Turner Classic Movie representative. <laughs> Gosh, I would kill for that job. <laughs> I know it's 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 so fun to talk about these movies. I I really appreciate that you took time out to talk to us, uh, to talk to me and, and to my audience. Um, especially since you uh, are in plays and you mm-hmm. are working with Funimation, that that is so cool. I haven't had anybody I don't think on yet that has a job like that. So that's that's really interesting. Oh. It's it's cool to hear about your influences and stuff. Oh yeah, like I. I try and, um, for the most part, um, talking about, you know, Papard being a part of the actor's studio. I mean, that's typically the, you know, the acting style a lot of people think of. And I do sample some from that in in my own process, if you will. Um, <laughs> but a lot of it is also like I try and just implement myself as much as possible in those scenes as that character. Mm-hmm. But also like if... If there's a very stylized 
character, then I'm going to sample um, from, you know, the best source of reference material there is, which is, you know, classic film. Yeah, that's, that's really awesome. Um, well, is it okay? I mean, it's all, it's up to you, whatever you want to share, but do you want to kind of plug yourself? Like, what are you up to right now? Uh, do you have like a social, like a, I'm sorry, social media presence or something where people can find you? Yeah, uh, you can follow me at uh, Ragsdale Sarah on Twitter, and um, I've got uh, one show going on right now that you can stream on Funimation um, called uh, Tsurada Children. Mm-hmm. It's a uh, I, I always kind of butcher the name. I'm so bad at oh my gosh actual Japanese I'm pronunciation. Same, same. <laughs> I watch so much anime. You think that I would know, but. <laughs> I'm kind of like an old school anime person, so I'm kind of like, you know, Ranma or Cowboy Bebop. But some of the mm-hmm. newer ones where they keep the Japanese name, I'm like, I I I don't I don't know how to pronounce that. <laughs> oh yeah. It's it's really bad and um you you can see my weakness um whenever I have to say another character's name. It's usually <laughs> it takes a, it takes a couple of takes. <laughs> No worries. Well, I'll include uh, the name of the show in the show notes, and then um, I'll share like a link in our group and on Twitter and stuff so they can kind of find you. Awesome. Thank you. Awesome. Yeah. Well, again, thank you so much for coming on and really enjoyed chatting with you and just, I mean, catching up even. It's it's really cool. Oh, yeah. And uh, <laughs> look forward to hearing from you again. I, I hope that you'll come back and that we'll talk about Gone with the Wind or any other movie Absolutely. that you want to All right. Well, thank you so much. Thank you for having me on. I appreciate it. All right. Thanks, Sarah. Bye. (laughs) Bye. Hey, guys. Thanks so much for listening. Uh, Sarah and I had such an amazing time discussing this movie. She's such a talented actress, and I hope you will check out her Twitter and her show, Sundari Children. If you guys have any feedback about this episode, please feel free to reach out to me on Twitter under AYA Lisa Cosplay or on Instagram under AYA Anna's and Nancy AMI Lisa or in our closed Facebook group. I love that movie. Our group is closed, but just send a request and I'll add you. It's a safe space for movie lovers to discuss their favorite films judgment free. My only rule is just be kind to each other. If you like what you heard today, please subscribe and rate the show. If you leave a positive review on iTunes, you'll be entered to win a $20 gift card to movie theater chain of your choice. Right now we're at 11 reviews, and I will draw once we get to 15. Everybody loves free money, and it's a way of giving back to you guys for supporting me. Thanks so much again, and I look forward to hearing from you.